Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Hallelujah. Have you found Colossians? Amen. Chapter 1. Start in verse 9 says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, that is their love and, and fellowship in the Spirit, we ask, we do not cease to pray and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You know, it's important to know God's will and not just have a hint, not just know a little bit of His will. He said, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Well, there's a whole lot in that verse, isn't there? Well, that's not my message today. Verse 10 says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Would that be a good idea? Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, many more messages in that verse, but we don't have time for that today. Verse number 11, strengthened with all might, according to your glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks, and this is the verse that I wanted to get us to, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. The first thing we see in this verse is that there is an inheritance, that believers, Christians have an inheritance. An inheritance is something that belongs to you that is given to you by somebody else it's not, and it's not the fruit of your labor, it's the fruit of that person's labor. Jesus labored and he gave us an inheritance. There are things that belong to us. Most Christians think the only thing that belongs to us is that when, when we get to heaven, we get to go to heaven. That's what belongs to us. Here on this earth, there is an inheritance that we are to partake of And it says in this verse that God has qualified us. The Father qualified us to be partakers of this inheritance. The devil is always there to try to persuade you and me that we aren't qualified. For one reason or another, he will bring up something that he would say would disqualify. He won't deny the inheritance a lot of times because we can quote scripture for it. There's no, there's no ambiguity. We know what our inheritance is. The devil won't fight us that we have an inheritance once, we, once we've been enlightened, but he'll fight us individually and say, well, you know, you've been a bad boy. You've been a bad girl. You've not done this. You've not done that. You've not lived this way. You weren't nice. You weren't this or that or the other. You've disobeyed God or whatever. He'll always try to disqualify you, but this scripture says God has qualified you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Some of the other translations said that he's made us fit to partake. Made ready is what another one says. Made ready to partake. You're ready. Made sufficient. You're enough. You're sufficient. One that I really like is made capable. The Father made you capable. You didn't make yourself capable. The Father qualified you and me. We didn't qualify ourselves. And then two really, really, uh, uh, two translations that really stretch us a bit. It says he has entitled us. 
One translation says, God the Father entitled us. Now we know we live in an entitlement society where people believe they're just entitled to things that they don't have to work for, don't have to just expect a handout. And how many of you are for that? Nobody. That's not what this is talking about. This is something that has been given to us that somebody paid for and delivered to us something that we could not provide for ourselves because we were spiritually bankrupt. Jesus did it. He provided it. He gave it to us and we're entitled to walk in it. Amen. Another translation, this will really stretch you, is he's made us worthy. To the traditional Christian says, oh, well, I'm not worthy. Oh, God, you know, just... Let me put my nose to the floor and just grovel in my self-pity. You know, I'm not worthy. And they think that's humility. That's not humility. That's ignorance. Now, we're not worthy in our own effort. We're not worthy because of anything we've done or anything we will do. But God made us worthy. That's, 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 that's an, an astonishing thing to think. God made us worthy. Now, I pointed this out last week that no provision of our redemption has been secured uh, just because God decided to and he just did it on his own. God did not just uh, unilaterally is not exactly the right word, but it's sort of right. God didn't just decide on his his own just to, by decree, just because he could, just because he wanted to, just to redeem mankind. It's not the way it happened. Now, in, in comparison, when God created the, the worlds, he just did it. There was not anything he had to, to uh, he didn't have to have a reason. He didn't have to uh, go through any steps. He just spoke and creation came into being. So God is God. But when it comes to redemption, when it came to the, to the, uh, uh, bringing back mankind from its lost state, God didn't just do it, like I say, I think I said last week, just sort of willy-nilly, just sort of do it, you know, uh, just because he could. There were, there were things that had to be done, amen? Now, go with me to Romans chapter 3, and we'll see a passage that sometimes we, we look over because as words in it that we don't usually use very often, so we just sort of skip over it. In Romans chapter 3, well, let's start in verse 21 to get the context. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being that now, like one translation says here, it says here, that is God's way of, ma- of man's right standing. When it says now the righteousness of God, it's talking about God's way of making man righteous. Apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, now here is the, these two verses are the two verses I wanted to focus on. Concerning Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood 
through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just or righteous and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, when it says God has set forth Christ Jesus as a propitiation, now the word propitiation in the classical Greek means an appeasement. Someone who appeases the anger of another and, and begs their pardon. Uh, that's not the, really the way it's used in Scripture. That is the most foundational meaning of the word. But a lot of times in Scripture, uh, we make a mistake when we just look at the technical definition and don't look at its usage. Because how a word is used is more important than sometimes the actual definition of it. We have words in our, in our English language that mean one thing, but people don't use it that way. They use it completely different. And in the popular culture, the, the, the usage is really what it means. You understand? Well, in Leviticus, now you know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but about 200 years before Jesus came there was a, a Greek translation made of the Old Testament and it's called the Septuagint. And so in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in uh, Leviticus 16, 14, you don't have to turn there, it's talking about the mercy seat. In the, ta- in the, uh, the tabernacles that God instructed Moses to build, uh, there was the holy place and then there was the most holy place and inside the most holy place, there was the Ark of the Covenant. On either side or either end of the Ark of the Covenant were solid gold cherubim, you know, that were facing each other and their wings were touching each other. Well, inside that Ark was the uh, uh, Aaron's rod that budded, uh, a, a pot that had manna in it, and the tables of stone that Moses brought down from the mountain that God had written the commandment, his commandments, he had written in his own, with his own finger, etched them into that stone. Those stones, those tablets were in that ark. On top of the ark was a covering or a seat. Well, the, the Ten Commandments called for justice because, and judgment because man had failed those commandments. Man had failed to keep the covenant. It's the Ark of the Covenant, but man had failed to keep the covenant. We remember when Pastor uh, Field was here, he talked about the covenant and how that God cut the covenant with Abraham, but really cut it with Christ because he knew Abraham couldn't keep it. Well, Abraham's descendants couldn't keep it. And they didn't keep it. And sin always calls for judgment. Sin, uncleansed, calls for judgment. So this mercy seat would have constantly called for judgment. The seat that was on the, uh, the, the uh, uh, ark would have called for judgment. But because of the blood that the priest would come in, the high priest would come in once a year and he would sprinkle blood, really kind of splash blood, you know, on that, on that top of the ark. And it caused the judgment seat to become a mercy seat. And so that's what it was called, the mercy seat. It was a mercy seat because of the blood. Without the blood, it would have been a seat of judgment. Amen? So, uh, let's, let's read ch- uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 25 and 26 again. God set forth Jesus 
as a propitiation. Let's use that word mercy seat. Because that's the way the word was used in the Old Testament. God set forth Christ Jesus as a mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate God's righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. See, in the old covenant, people sinned. Newsflash. People sin today. But God forgave them their sins. In the old covenant, when they would come and shed the blood of animals and come according to the law, God would forgive them their sins. He, he forgave sinners of their sin, but their sins weren't cleansed. Because we read in the book of Hebrews, turn over there to Hebrews chapter uh, 9. Hold your place here in, in Acts, but go to Hebrews 9. I think it's 9, 9 or 10. Yeah, Hebrews 10, rather. Hebrews chapter 10 says, For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, this is verse 1, not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifice which they continually offer year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Drop down to verse number 11. And daily, talking about the old covenant, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. So... The, the, the blood that was shed and was put on that mercy seat could never cleanse the people who had sinned. And yet God forgave them. Well, that, that calls, calls, C-A-L-L-S, calls God's righteousness into question. How can God forgive somebody unless the penalty for that sin hasn't been discharged unless somebody pays for it and the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do it. God was doing that looking toward Christ. God did that knowing that Christ would one day come and pay for those sins, but the, but the devil had a right to challenge God because the devil... Uh, the, Jesus told the people in his day, even the religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil. All people today outside of Christ, people who are not born again, their father is the devil. He was your father and my father too. The devil became man's ruler in the Garden of Eden took man captive and he had a legal right to hold men in bondage. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not this way, but before you came to Christ, Satan owned you. He owned you. He had a right to, protect, to, to uh, 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 hold you in bondage. He had a right to torment He had a right to you 
because you were his, he owned humanity. And for God to just forgive sins without the penalty being paid challenged his righteousness. Well, this verse here says that God set Christ, Jesus, as a mercy seat. Let's go back to Romans. Verse 25, God set forth Jesus Christ as a mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be righteous and the righteousness of the one who has faith in Christ. When when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for our sins. And when he did that, it vindicated God in the devil's eyes. Now, you might not think that, that God would need to be vindicated in the devil's eyes, but the devil is the accuser. He's always accusing God. He's always accusing man. And, and the devil had a legal right to challenge God's righteousness. If Jesus had not come and would never come, God would have been not true to his own word. He would have been, violate, in, be, he would have been in violation of his own word, of his own justice. But God set Jesus as a, another word for that mercy seat is satisfaction. When Jesus' blood was, spread, was spilled, Jesus went into heaven. When Moses built that, that tabernacle on the earth, it was a copy of a tabernacle in heaven. You can read about it in the New Testament. Revelation talks about it, other places. There was a, it was a replica. Jesus entered into heaven brought his blood and put it on that mercy seat in heaven and he satisfied the claims of justice. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And so that is how we were qualified. So I told you I was gonna give you five ways God has qualified you for, for your inheritance. Number one, he washed away, we talked about this last week, he washed away your sins, canceling your debt. Oh, Hallelujah. Go to Colossians chapter 1 again. Colossians 1 again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Excuse me. Go to Colossians 2, verse number 14. Well, let's start in verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. See, God God forgave us uh, on a a legal basis. He had the legal right to do it because Jesus paid for our sins. Jesus suffered the penalty for your sin and my sin. So God didn't just willy-nilly, as I expression I used last week, he he didn't just decide to forget about your sin as though it hadn't happened. Oh, it happened. And the devil knew it happened and and he was constantly reminding God of that. But Jesus paid for your sin. When he did, he discharged your obligation to it. Oh, glory to God. And that's why God could forgive you. Amen. Having, Having forgiven you, last part of verse 13, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it 
out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. The handwriting of, of ordinances, the handwriting, that's what the old King James says, the handwriting of requirements. The margin of my Bible says the certificate of debt with its debt. The law was a certificate of debt. It accused us constantly before God. When Jesus went to the cross. He, take that, he took that certificate of debt and he nailed it to the cross and put an end to it. Glory to God. We have been set free from all of the condemnation that the law would bring. We're not under the law. We're not under its curse. We're not under its requirements. We're not under its obligations. We're free. We're free to just live for God. We have been justified. We have been made righteous. That's the second point of my message. The second thing God did in making you capable to receive your inheritance, qualified you, is he made you righteous. Now, most Christians, the churches like ours, we know it, but most Christians are unaware of righteousness. Most Christians would, would almost bite their tongue before they would say that they're righteous. Oh, God is righteous, but, but a, a, a popular uh, refrain or a popular expression is, well, you know, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I'm just unworthy. You've heard that. That's just tradition. It's in all denominations, virtually all denominations, have that, have that attitude, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I don't deserve anything. I'm unworthy. But the Bible says that, that Jesus made us righteous. Go over to Romans again. Hallelujah. Romans 3 again. Hallelujah. Verse 21, we read it. Let's read it again. But now, the righteousness of God, that is man's way of being right with God, apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophet. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. The righteousness of God is to all and on all who believe. Glory to God. Over in uh, Romans chapter 5. I remember when, when, I, when the truth of this verse sort of just went off on the inside of me and I saw it for the first time. In verse 17, Romans 5, 17, for if by one man's offense, that's talking about Adam's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. When I See, I had always thought righteousness was something that I worked toward. That if I, you know, if I went to church uh, every time they had church, you know, if I tithed, if I, uh, uh, you know, lived right and, and, you know, just did all the things I'm supposed to live a good Christian life, that I would, I would sort of grow in righteousness. I would become more and more like God. And I thought that was being righteous. The righteousness simply means to be in right standing with God. That's what righteousness is. When we were lost, 
before we came to Christ, we didn't have any standing with God. We couldn't, we couldn't just enjoy the things of God, go into his presence. Because we were, we were cut off from him. But when we were born again, we were recreated and brought into a new life in Christ. And righteousness was given to us as a gift. It's not something we earn. It's something that belongs to us. I remember when Pastor Angela and I were sitting in church. She, you know, she didn't go to church with me when I first got back in a fellowship with the Lord for a couple of years, I guess. And I don't know exactly how long, but it was a little while. And uh, so she started, she finally started coming to church with me, you know. And I remember we, in, we were in service. And we were sitting down close to the front. She had come and sat with me, you know, because we all sat in the front. You know, when you really love God, just sit in the front, you know. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh. You're on the front row. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she was sitting there. And I knew she was struggling because we were raised to, to always feel like we were unworthy. And, and we were in church, and I don't know what was going on. It was, it was during church. I mean, they were, maybe the choir was singing. I don't remember. But I was sitting next to her, and I, and I said, and I, and I opened my Bible, and I said, look at this. And I, and I showed her this verse. I said, it says right here that we have the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. It's not something we earn. It's not something we grow in. Now, we grow in holiness. We grow in our walk with God. But righteousness is, is the ability to come into God's presence as though sin never existed. Hallelujah. It's like a little child. You know, a little child runs up to its parents. You know, that, that child has no sense of, of inferiority or, or that he's out of favor. A little child just runs up to his mommy and daddy and just hugs their neck because he's just, he's innocent. And, and his, his mommy and his daddy, they're, they're providers. They're everything. And there's not any, any sense of, of separation. Well, we, we have that ability to come into God's presence. Oh, hallelujah. We can come boldly, Hebrews says, into the, 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 before the throne of God to obtain mercy, to find grace, whatever we need. We come boldly because we belong there. We belong at the throne of God. We belong in his presence. Now the devil will try to bring sin consciousness back into your life when you miss it. And try to convince you that that you don't deserve and that you don't have a place and that God is not pleased with you. Now this is a a delicate balance of truth. When we... Jesus offered in Hebrews, if we'd kept reading, it would have said that Jesus made one sacrifice for sins forever. Jesus put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He's not going to the cross again. The sacrifice was made, sin was, was, was cleansed. But the, that's one side of the mountain, but there's another side of the mountain, biblical truth. People take just that one side and they build a doctrine that says, well, since we've been forgiven and, we're, and, and Jesus has once and for all forgiven us, then it really doesn't matter how we live. Now, most people won't present it that way, but a few do. Most people will present it a little more moderately. They'll say, yeah, it matters what we do. But even when we do wrong, we shouldn't do wrong. We should try to do right. But even when we do wrong, it's not against us. 
because it's already been forgiven. It's not something we have to get forgiven again. There's a large portion of the church, a, a teaching that has taken hold in across denominations in the last 15, 20 years that says basically even when you are in the middle of sin, I mean in the act of sinning, God, that sin that you're committing is forgiven. Present tense, contemporaneously, right then when you do it, it is forgiven. Well, it's, it's, it's forgiven positionally, but sin still has to be repented of and forsaken and forgiveness granted. I don't have time to go into the scriptures, but there are a lot of scriptures in the New Testament and talk about the forgiveness of sins of the believer. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, when you repent and you confess your sin, oh, glory to God, there is no more remembrance of sin because God has already put it away. Jesus has already paid the price. And you can come, I mean, the, the very second, the very second, that you say, Father, I confess and name it. Don't just, don't call it a problem. Just call it what it is. Just say what it is, be as graphically graphic as you need to be and just say, God, I confess I did this. I repent. The second you do that, the very moment you do that, provided that they're not a list of things that you also need to repent of, But see, we ought to be living so close to God that we don't live in sin. And then maybe when we we do miss it, it's just that one thing. Amen, that's the way we should live. But there's gonna be that one thing every now and then because we're still human. But when that happens, the moment, the very moment you confess it and forsake it, that moment, The Bible says you are forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. Well, how much unrighteousness is left? None. That means that very moment, you can claim your healing, you can claim your prosperity, you can claim your your need met, whatever the provisions are, whatever the inheritance covers, whatever the covenant covers, that moment... Square your shoulders and say, I'm taking my blessing, praise God. I've got, I've put that behind me. Jesus has, has, has paid, the, paid the price for it. The Father's forgiven me. Now, I'm gonna go for my inheritance, glory to God. So, I mean the very moment. Oh, hallelujah. Now, the devil will challenge you on that. He'll, he'll make you feel like you really ought to be sorry for a few days. You ought to sort of grovel in it. You ought to sort of, sort of feel bad and feel guilty and remorseful and all that. Listen, all of that is sin consciousness. Once it's been confessed and forsaken, it is gone. And, and let me tell you this. In the meantime, even when you were committing sin, even, excuse me, as a Christian, even when you were in the act of committing sin, God still loved you. He wasn't angry. He's not angry at you when you sin. Now, God hates sin, but he, but he loves us. And even while we're in sin, it doesn't change God's opinion of us. It doesn't, it doesn't void the covenant. It doesn't uh, restrict in any way the legitimacy and, and, and the reality of the inheritance. It still belongs to you. Even when you're sinning, 
it belongs to you. But condemnation and sin will keep you out of laying hold of those things. Because, because fellowship is, is, the, is the, uh, the soil out of which, which faith develops. And whenever we're in fellowship with God, our faith can be strong and robust. But when we're out of fellowship with God, then the, the God, God's spirit doesn't condemn us. When you sin, did you know the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn you? Go to 1 John chapter 5. The Holy Spirit will not condemn you. He's been sent to help you. Condemnation is not a help. 1 John chapter 5. Hallelujah. Amen. What did I tell you? First John? Yeah, first John. Excuse me, chapter three. First John chapter three. Verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now notice it's a heart issue. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have what? Confidence toward God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. See, when you're keeping God's commandment of love, when you're walking in love, when you're, when you're living right and, and and uh, honoring your brother and sister and doing all the things that we know that we're led to do and taught to do in the New Testament, when, when, when you're living that way, you have great confidence toward God. And it's easy for you to come to the Father and, and, and ask for something and believe you receive it. But when you do wrong, your heart condemns you. And you lose that confidence. And therefore, you have to get that out of the way. You have to confess and get that thing forgiven. When you do, it frees you up and you have the right to stand up. Now, the devil will still challenge you. This is something that the renewed mind does. The renewed mind says, nope, I have repented. I have, I have confessed my sin. He is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. And then whatever you need, you lay hold of it. Right then, I mean right there, you might, I mean at the, at the very next second. Don't stay out don't stay out of fellowship. Let me say that different. Don't stay out of God's presence. You've been brought back into fellowship when you do right. When when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So even whenever you sin and you confess that, you're brought back into fellowship with God, but you might not feel like it. You might not feel like you have that fellowship. That's the time you need to trust in it all the more. See, we make a mistake, like I said earlier, we make a mistake of letting the devil hold us in, in doubt and in condemnation. We need to have the boldness to say, oh, thank God for the blood. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the cross. Thank God that I'm righteous. Amen? And that righteousness, that righteous, we need to develop a righteousness consciousness. 
What does that mean? An awareness in our thinking and in our heart and in our understanding, always knowing that we're accepted before God, that we have the right to go into his presence, praise God, that we can walk in to the throne of grace and find mercy and help no matter what has happened in the past. And you have to, you have to, be, you have to be bold to do that. You have to know what the Bible says to do that. But you can go from victory to victory to victory to victory. And that, that sin that maybe trips you up every now and then, when it trips you up, get it straight. Get back up. When, you, when you're walking somewhere and you trip, you don't just lay on the ground. Oh, man, I just tripped. <sighs> Wish I could get up. No, you get right back up. Isn't that right? Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Second thing, he made us righteous. The third thing, amen, he recreated us with a special capacity for faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. See, some people believe that God, this is a real a common thing when people start hearing about uh, someone's testimony of having great faith. I've heard it many times. Someone will give a testimony of, of uh, how they just, you know, and, and it may be a, a denominational person. You know, they just, just something happened in their life and God inspired them and they, and the Spirit of God inspired them and they rose up and they just laid hold of a promise and God answered it. And uh, if they have a string of these events... People in their church sometimes will, and I've heard people talk about others like this, say, you know, that, that person, God has really given them a great faith. I mean, I, that person has great faith. As if some people have great faith and others don't. God gave all of us a special capacity for faith because faith isn't dealt out by God on his terms. It's, it comes to us on our terms. For by but hearing the word, faith comes by hearing. Everybody can hear the word. The people who, that you know who have great faith, that are strong in faith, even that person in that denominational church that might not have faith for other things, but they had faith for one particular thing they were asking for and God just moved. They did that, they found that because God quickened the word to them. And when that word, he'll do that for anybody that you have to open it. <laughs> You have to be a student of the word. Well, the spirit of God brought the word to you. Not unless you, not unless you studied it. If you put the word in you, the Holy Spirit will have something to pull up out of you. But the, but the spirit of God will pull a scripture up out of somebody's heart and inspire them. Well, it was the hearing of the word. The word produced the faith. If you want faith for finances, you have to, you have to uh, have what, know what the Bible says about finances. You have to know what the Bible says about tithing. If you're going to argue with God, you can't argue with God over what he said about finances and then expect to be blessed. Well, I just, I just believe you'll bless me anyway. I know I'm a robber and a thief. <laughs> you know, the Old Testament says a man's robbed God. If he doesn't, doesn't give tithes and offerings, he's robbed God. Well, I can just be a God robber. I can be a thief. I can not bring my tithe. God will just bless me anyway. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. Because that's not the word. But when you know the word, when you're, you, you can't act on the word and in faith if you're not acting in, on the word in your private life, in your, in your, uh, in your actions. Because actions are how faith uh, is, is demonstrated. Actions gives life to your faith. 
causes your faith to start working and producing. Over in James, it says faith without actions is dead. It's faith. It's just not producing anything. Well, if you, if you want faith for finances, do what the Bible, do what the Word says about finances. Amen. It, it, you know, can't understand why things don't work out. Well, take a look at your checkbook. I don't know why I got off on this, but anyway, it's important. If, if you want faith for healing, get into the Word concerning healing. Start feeding on the Word. Start talking the Word. Start confessing your healing. God has given each one of us the, the unique and uh, among creation, the special unique ability, a special capacity for faith. We are faith children of a faith God. We were, cre- we were recreated to live by faith. It is as natural for the Christian to walk in faith as it is for a duck to swim in the water. I mean, a duck just swims because he's a duck. Believers believe because we're believers. <clears throat> I don't know about the ducks that are wandering across the, the highway somewhere. They've gotten out of the water. They're out of place. Christians who aren't, who aren't in the Bible, they're not feeding on the Bible. They're just wandering across the high. They're like a duck out of water. Just, you know, wandering off somewhere. And things can happen to you when you get out of, out of the will of God. You get out of the word of God, things can happen. Amen. Let's get back in the water of faith. Amen. Praise the Lord. Not the best analogy, but anyway. Number four, God gave you authority over the devil. Mm. You have authority. The next verse that we, we left off in, in, in Colossians 1.12, verse 13 says, God has delivered us from the authority of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his, his dear son. Oh, glory to God. One of the most amazing truths, foundational truths you'll ever know is whenever the devil comes to you in your thought life, you have authority over him. When he comes to you and attacks your body, you have authority over him. When he comes and attacks you in your marriage, you have authority over him. When he attacks you where your children are concerned, you, you have authority over that. When he attacks you where on the, on, uh, in your life's pursuit, what, what he has given you to do for life, and you're pursuing that career, that job, whatever, whatever it is, and he comes and tries to work in it, you have authority over that. Now, you don't have authority over your coworkers, <laughs> but you have authority over yourself, and you have authority over the job that God has given you. Don't let yourself be pushed around by the devil. Well, amen. Now, you have to be a good employee. Or if you're a businessman, you have to be honest. Treat your customers right, right? But when you're doing those things and an attack comes against your livelihood, square your shoulders and say, no, not not, not me. Amen. Amen. When I was, you know, in working in, in the, with the phone company many years ago, uh, I was pretty low man on the totem pole as far as seniority because I'd only been there a few years. And, the, you know, it was in the mid-70s, and there was a, a, a recession, I guess. I don't remember. I just know they were laying off a lot of people. So they did it from seniority. They, stopped, they started at the bottom of the seniority, you know, started laying off the people that had been there, you know, the least amount of time and started coming up. And... You know, I, after I got back in the fellowship of the Lord, I became a good employee. Now, before then, I wasn't a good employee. I'll tell you what, I wasn't. I was lazy. I'm going to all that, but anyway. <laughs> I slept on the job sometimes. I did. 
Not very often, but, but occasionally, but it was in my heart to do it more than I did it. <laughs> but, but when I got back in the fellowship of the Lord, I became a good employee. They started making money off of me in the place that I worked. They were making, everything was on, on an a hourly cost basis. And because of the jobs that I had been given by God's favor, favor I would like work four hours or five hours a night and come home because I had these little jobs to do on, in people's privacy, private businesses like big corporations, banks and hospitals and things. And I'd work in the night, you know, repairing their phone system. And, uh, you know, only I was given like an hour, I mean a, a night, like eight hours. I'd be finished in like four or five. I'd just come home. So I was making good money, you know, for the business. Well, you know, for the company, this layoff came. They went up, they come up to my seniority, went around me, went on up, went around. No, there were two guys, me. There were two men where I, where I was working, me and another, myself and another man. The other man was the nephew of the fourth level supervisor in our, in our uh, structure. Well, you know, you know why he got, kept his job. But I, I didn't know anybody like that. And we were the only two people in all of Jacksonville of these, all these people that laid off. We were the only two. And I, I was just by the grace of God. Well, you know, I was a good employee. And when they started laying people off, I started using my confession. I said, well, Lord, you know, you, you supernaturally got me this job when I was 17 years old. And I didn't even know what I was doing. And you got me this job and you blessed me. I, I just believe you'll just protect my job. So you can claim, you can take authority. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Take authority. And then number five, we don't have time to get into all of this, but God has given you an arsenal of spiritual weapons because the devil will challenge you. The devil will fight against you. He'll try to overcome you. He'll try to, he'll try to depose you. He'll try to, to keep you from taking your authority and taking your, your inheritance in Christ. He'll try to keep you out of what belongs to you. Well, we've been given an arsenal of, of spiritual gifts. And over in, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, be strong in the Lord. Actually, it says, be strengthened in the Lord. I like that better. Be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might and take up upon yourself the armor of God. And it lists the different, we don't have time to get into this morning, but it lists the different components of the armor of God. You need to put all of these on. The, the, uh, you know, we read in, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians about the weapons of our warfare are not, are not uh, carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down thoughts, imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself. The number one battle in life is right up here. Right up here in the mind. Because that's where sin starts. That's where discouragement starts. Every, every depression starts right up here. Obsession starts right up here. Everything that, can, that, can, that the devil can do, it starts up here usually, I would say. Particularly where disobedience is concerned. It starts right up here in your thinking. Put on the helmet of salvation. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The helmet is, is designed to protect your thought life. By, how do you put that on? Renew your mind with the word of God. Well, there's a, a variety of weapons there that are available to us in the armor of God. We'll look into that more at a later point. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. You have been made able, fit, and ready. 
Amen. You've been qualified to partake of your inheritance. Don't let the devil run you off of your inheritance. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Don't let people talk you out of your inheritance. We love our families, our natural families, but our natural families, if they're not, if they're not in, in the school of faith, if they don't know what faith is now, uh, the truth of the New Testament, they'll try to talk you out of things. Don't let them. Amen. Sometimes it's not best to share everything that's going on in your life with people, even your loved ones, when they're not in faith. They're not of faith. It's just not helpful. Amen. Wait, wait until you have a testimony to share with them. Amen. Stand in faith. Get with your, your, your faith family. Get people in your faith family that will agree with you, who will speak the word to you, who will, who will encourage you in faith. Not tell you, well, you never know what God's going to do. You know, sometimes God... Listen, we've, we all have family like that. Well, you know, there's some things I just don't share with my natural family. But I share it with my spiritual family. Because I have a family here who will, who will take and lock arms with me. You have a family here too that will lock arms with you in every challenge in life. Whatever you're going through. Whatever the, the enemy is trying to, to, uh, to, to bring against you. It, it's, it's good to be strong, but we need one another. We are to strengthen one another. And you have a family right here, I'm telling you. There's somebody in this church that will lock arms with you, that will speak the word to you. Now, don't go over and talk to old sister uh, bad news. <laughs> don't find sister bad news who will pat you on the back and tr- cry a little bit of, I don't know why this has happened to you. You don't need that. I don't know if there's any sister bad news in here or not, but if there are, you know who they are, I guess. <laughs> Amen. No, find somebody who's, who's strong in faith. Somebody who'll jump up in the face of the devil and say, not my brother, not my sister. You're not doing this. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, let's stand. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm so glad I found out who I am in Christ. So glad I found out what belongs to me, what Jesus has done for me. Hallelujah. I'm glad I found out that I don't have to be defeated. (laughs) I don't have to be poor. I remember my wife and I, we were first married, you know, we, we didn't have anything. We just started out kids, but I did. God blessed me with, supernaturally with a great job. I didn't give him credit for it. I was not living for him, but it was an unusually good job for somebody my age, 17 years old. And uh, we got back into fellowship with the Lord. And, uh, you know, things were still tight because we were, like I said, I was still low man on the totem pole as far as seniority and and. Raises didn't just come automatically. They were given by merit. <laughs> what a crazy idea today. You didn't, get, you didn't get promotions and pay raises unless you, you know, did something that, that qualified you for it. And, uh, and you know, I was, I was moving up slowly in, in, the corp, you know, in the business or in the workforce, you know. But things were still tight. I don't know why I'm on tithing, but I'm going to stay on it. I, uh, when I first got back in the fellowship of the Lord, I, I, I came up with this idea again that tithing was under the law. 
And I don't even know where I heard it. And I uh, must have heard it somewhere. But anyway, I went to my pastor. <laughs> and I said, now, Brother Braddock, from what I can read here, tithing is, is an Old Testament requirement. And uh, he said, no. He said, it's in the New Testament. You just need to read more. He didn't, he didn't give me more explanation than that. He said, it's in the New Testament. You just need to read more. Well, as I got into the Bible and, and uh, some more I read, I realized, you know, this is, a, this is a command of faith. It's not a law. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a law of Moses. It's a law of faith. And so I didn't know how in the world we were going to survive if I started taking 10% out of my gross earnings and give to God. I, we, when we, our, our experience of going to restaurants was McDonald's. That was our night out, you know, was to go to McDonald's, take Steve and go to McDonald's. And uh, we didn't have any extra money. And I thought, now, I just don't know how I could do this. 10%? Are you kidding me? But, you know, I, I saw it in the Word of God. And I said, well, I don't know how, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. My wife is standing right here in front of you. She'll tell you the same thing. We never missed it. I don't know. We, we paid the same bills that we had before. We still went to McDonald's. <laughs> we, we still had clothes. We still had food. We still kept the car running. I don't know how God took that 90% and made it spin like the 100%. I don't know how he did it. But he, I'm telling you, you know what I'm talking about. Angel can tell you. We, we never felt it. But we did it in obedience and we did it in faith. We said, now God, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to make up the difference. And he did. He did. I don't even think you were in fellowship with the Lord at the time, were you? I did it. She didn't do it. I did it. No, no the truth of the matter is she was all for it. Even though she was still backslidden, she was all for tithing. Huh? Yeah, we were, she said we were both raised to believe in it. Yeah, but we were raised to believe in a lot of things we weren't believing, though. <laughs> huh? Yeah, you want to come up here and help me, honey? Grab that mic. No, what she's saying is good. What? I just said when we, when the, the couple of years or so that we didn't tithe, we never had any money. And I was constantly borrowing from my mom until payday got there. Yeah. Then I'd pay her back, and then the next week I'd say, Mom, I need more money. You know, and she'd you know, give me five, ten bucks. Yeah. You know, but we never had enough. Yeah, we never we had enough. Tithing. We start tithing, we had enough. Well, I'm telling you, if you'll put God first in every area of your life, you'll see fruit. You'll see fruit. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for your goodness and blessing. We thank you, Father, for your wonderful redemption that's ours in Christ, the inheritance that belongs to us. Glory to God. We are capable. We are able. We are entitled and worthy to walk in this inheritance, Father. Not just to partake, but to be partakers as a class of person. By profession, we are partakers of our inheritance in Christ. Glory to God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. 
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.